So my job uh, is to uh, set the scene for the rest of the conference by talking about uh, what four degrees climate change actually means regionally across the world and also the potential rate uh, of climate change uh, when we may get to four degrees. Uh, and I'm going to base this uh, on some of the IPCC SRES emission scenarios, uh, which are shown here. So these are scenarios, this is showing the, green, the, the carbon dioxide emission scenarios uh, for several different storylines, so future uh, scenarios of uh, population growth, socioeconomic change, technology change and so on, uh, which have been used in a variety of different climate models to project uh, future climate change over the next century. And I'll focus on two in particular, the, uh, the A1B scenario here, which sometimes is called the medium emissions scenario, uh, and the, I'll also focus on the A1FI scenario. Uh, the A1 family of scenarios uh, consider fairly rapid economic growth, which obviously isn't right at the moment, uh, but these scenarios are supposed to be robust to year-by-year uh, year changes uh, in, the, uh, in the global economic system. Uh, the difference between B and FI is B is a balance of uh, energy sources uh, between fossil fuel and non-fossil fuel uh, sources. FI stands for fossil intensive, so that's essentially burning all the fossil fuels you can get your hands on. Now this is a, a fairly iconic figure from the last IPCC report in 2007 uh, which uh, put some of these scenarios into climate models to show the projected rates of global warming relative to uh, the pre-industrial state. Uh, so the, the main climate models looked at these three scenarios, uh, B1, A1B and A2, so A2 is sometimes called the medium high scenario. Um, and also there was a hypothetical scenario of if we fixed CO2 concentrations at the present day and we still get some warming even if we did that. But the, the most extreme scenario looked at in IPCC with the main climate models was the A2 uh, scenario and you can see that uh, uh, looking at the uncertainty in uh, the, the range of projections from different models just about touched four degrees by the end of the uh, century. So that's suggesting that uh, four degrees is possible by the end of the, of the century. But there was other work done for IPCC with simpler models uh, trying to estimate what these more complex models would have done under a wider range of scenarios and a, a wider range of feedbacks. And these grey bars here show that. And this is the A1FI scenario there. And I'll come back to that later uh, in more detail. But first of all, how are we doing in terms of our actual emissions compared to these projections? Uh, there's a bit of a story going around that actually recent emissions have been above the high emissions scenario, above the worst case projected by IPCC. Uh, that's not exactly right. Uh, the, the paper which said that had a bit of a misunderstanding. Uh, but uh, the actual emissions shown here, this is the, the 2008 uh, update on actual emissions, are within the range of uh, scenarios used to drive the climate models for IPCC. This is slightly confusing because this is the A1B scenario there and the A1FI is there. They kind of cross over. You can see this more clearly here. Uh, they, they cross over here. The reason for that is different models were used to produce these different emission scenarios. So although the underlying assumptions of population uh, and technology and economic growth are the same, the way these translate into emissions is different from different models. But basically, uh, it's true to say that Current emissions are near the upper end of what has been looked at in the IPCC climate models. 
So therefore, it is, it is worth looking at uh, high emission scenarios. Uh, and I'll talk about a range of uh, different techniques for combining uh, projections of different models and trying to assess the, uh, the confidence in our projections or the uncertainty in our projections. Um, often the, uh, we tend to use an ensemble technique these days, which is using uh, different models or different versions of models uh, because we don't know, we have no perfect model, we can only look at uh, what all the different models are, are giving and try and see what this gives us as our, our best guess or our plausible range of projections. So one technique is the multi-model technique at the top, uh, which is what's in the, the coloured lines in my first IPCC figure I showed earlier. So using all the models from all the different climate modelling centres around the world which are mostly different, some of them are not different, some of them are very close to each other, but mostly you have independent models there. A second uh, approach is to use one model, uh, but vary the key parameters within that model. Uh, and that's been done twice here in the UK. Uh, the one many of you may be familiar with is the climateprediction.net uh, project, uh, which in fact many of you may even use uh, use this on your PC. So this is using the Hadley Centre model HADCM3 with one and a half thousand or more variants of that, that model uh, to see what tweaking the parameters in that model gives you in terms of changing the projections. Then also internally within the Met Office Hadley Centre we have a similar approach uh, called QUMP, Quantifying Uncertainties in Model Projections. Again with the HADCM3 model, 17 variants uh, of that, uh, but looked at in more detail and storing much more of the, the data. So together, these two are quite, quite powerful. Uh, thirdly, because these climate models are so computationally expensive to run uh, that you can't cover the whole range of possibilities, so often you need to use simpler climate models which you tune to represent the complex models. So it's a model of the model, if you like. And that's what's used, uh, uh, again, in IPCC to give a, a, a likely range of warming, uh, as shared in my, my earlier slide. And then finally, you can use a combination of all these above uh, the above techniques as used in the UKCP09 projections. Again, we, we produced those with the Hadley Centre model mostly, uh, again, going through a simple model and bringing in some of the IPCC models as well. And I'll use a combination of all these things in my uh, talk today. So first of all, I'll look at the A1B uh, scenario, which is probably the most widely studied of uh, all the uh, emission scenarios. Uh, and this is what the uh, all 23 IPCC models give for uh, global warming relative to the 1860 to 1890 mean uh, uh, under the A1B scenario. Uh, and what, I've, what we've picked out here is in, in orange is the, uh, the, the three simulations which do go above four degrees by the end of the century. Most of them do stay below four degrees by the end of the century under this scenario. Um, but to, I'm going to use these to illustrate what the regional patterns of climate change are like by just picking on the average of these upper three. So the red line here is the average of the, what we're calling the high-end uh, simulations. So those which do achieve four-degree warming by the 2090s. So the red line is the average of those. So this shows uh, the pattern of warming averaged over those three high-end IPCC simulations for A1B, so three models, and they give a mean global warming of 4.3 degrees Celsius. Uh, so you can see that uh, there's quite a wide range uh, of regional variations in, in warming. Uh, this, again, this, this may be slightly confusing because this is a map of warming relative to 
1961 to 90, not relative to pre-industrial. That's because when you're looking at impacts, which Nigel will talk about in the next talk, it's, it's actually more useful to talk about uh, change relative to the present day rather than pre-industrial, because that, that means something. So hopefully that ties in better with Nigel's talk. So this shows you the changes relative to not too long ago uh, in recent history. So you can see a wide range of patterns of warming. The oceans on the whole warm less. It takes longer to warm up water than it does the land. Uh, most of the land is warming, say, around four or five uh, degrees Celsius by the end of the century. But some areas, particularly the high latitudes, and also John Schoenhuber's third pole in the Himalayas, uh, are warming by um, perhaps eight degrees or more, or even perhaps 10 degrees in the Arctic. As you're losing the, the sea ice, uh, the reflective nature of the sea ice is being taken away. You've got the dark underlying ocean, which is absorbing more sunlight, more of the sun's radiation, and warming the, the ocean further. So a wide range of patterns of warming for four degrees. Also, uh, arguably what we really want to know is where the rain is going to be. Uh, and this is changes in uh, the precipitation by the 2090s, averaged over the, uh, the three high-end A1B simulations from IPCC. Uh, on the whole, as you warm the world, you increase global average precipitation. So rainfall and snowfall uh, added together. Uh, and so many areas do get an increase in rainfall, particularly in the high latitudes, uh, eastern Africa there. Now, we're only showing the results here uh, where two-thirds of the models agree, which is two in this case, because there's only three models. Uh, <laughs> but this is the usual technique, uh, starting in IPCC, to look at likely changes, which is about two-thirds of the models. Uh, so you can see increases in rainfall in many places. Uh, so we should... Uh, obviously increase the risk of flooding, for example. But also, in many regions, there's a decrease uh, in rainfall, particularly over the Mediterranean region, Western Africa, Central America, parts of Southern Africa, parts of South America. Uh, so, again, a, a very strong regional difference in uh, the response of precipitation to, to climate change. Now, uh, as I said, the IPCC model ensemble didn't look at the high emission scenario, but we have looked at that with the, uh, the Hadley Centre model. Uh, but before I go on to that, I want to show you how the Hadley Centre model compares to the IPCC uh, ensemble. So we've done uh, <coughs> our own ensemble of uh, simulations. So using the HADCN3 model, but perturbing various parameters, the input numbers in there, uh, uh, to try and capture the range of uh, uncertainty in the projections. And this shows, it's the equivalent of the IPCC projection ensemble projection I just showed earlier, but with the Medobis Hadley Centre uh, model ensemble. So again, most under, under the A1B scenario, most simulations are staying below the four degree line, but a good proportion, perhaps more than the IPCC ensemble, are going above four degrees by the end of the century. Uh, and again, the pattern of warming there, so this is consistent with the pattern from the average of the high-end IPCC uh, simulations, so much more warming in the Arctic because of feedbacks from sea ice uh, and snow melt over land. Uh, in Amazonia, uh, we get a, in the Hadley Centre model, we get more warming. Uh, it's a classic feature of the Hadley Centre model is to, tr is to warm Amazonia. Uh, and also the warming in Central Asia tends to come uh, more extreme and further south. The patterns of precipitation change, again, broadly agree with the high-end IPCC uh, scenarios. In fact, I should point out that the high-end 
IPCC scenarios do not include the Hadley Centre model, actually, which I was surprised about when, when I looked. Uh, so this, so the, this is not biased by the Hadley Centre model being in the, the projection I showed earlier. So again, we get more rainfall, more snowfall at high latitudes, an increase in global average precipitation, decreases over the Mediterranean and Central America, uh, signi more significant decreases over Southern Africa, and significant decreases uh, over Amazonia. So again, some, uh, perhaps up to 20% or more decreases in precipitation in, in many areas. So what about the A1FI scenario, the high emission scenario? Uh, so up the top there, what does that look like? So again, this is now using the Hadley Centre model, Hadley CM3, um, and it's the mean of our high-end simulations, so those which go past four degrees before the end of the century. This time it's 14 simulations uh, that do that, 14 out of a possible 17 uh, go past four degrees by the end of the century. And the mean of the high-end group, mean warming is 5.4 degrees Celsius. And the patterns of warming, kind of similar to what we've already seen, but more extreme. Uh, so again, more extreme warming in Southern Africa, Amazonia, North America, Northern Asia. Most of the world is warming by six, seven degrees or so. The Arctic's warming by 12, 13, 14 degrees uh, or more, uh, again, because of the feedbacks. And again, the precipitation change is similar to as already seen, but again, more extreme. Uh, so an increase in global average precipitation, uh, increased precipitation at high latitudes, uh, southern Asia, eastern Africa, but a decrease in precipitation over the Mediterranean, western Africa, Central America, Amazonia, Southern Africa, and uh, Southeast Asia. And uh, what about the timing of uh, reaching four degrees? Well, this is the, uh, again, the time series of global warming from the, in the A1FI scenario with the Hadley Centre Ensemble. You can see that three of the ensemble members don't reach uh, four degrees by the end of the century, but most do. Uh, one of them gets there by 2060, but most of them are sort of getting to four degrees in the, in the 2070s uh, or so. And this is not inconsistent with the, uh, the IPCC simple models, uh, which I showed in the first, uh, the first slide. But there's an important feature which is missing from all these simulations so far, uh, and that's feedbacks from the global carbon cycle. These are all based on a translation of the emission scenario into a scenario of atmospheric CO2 concentrations which ignore the effect of climate change on carbon sinks. Uh, now it's well known that uh, the rate of change in atmospheric CO2 concentration shown here, again this is an IPCC figure, this is the year by year change in atmospheric CO2 concentration, uh, is only about 60% of the actual rate of CO2 emissions. And if you include deforestation emissions, the atmospheric CO2 concentration is rising at about 40% of total emissions. Uh, so we have the, the budget for the last 10 years or so, shown from the IPCC, is these emissions of up to 7 gigatons of carbon per year from fossil fuel burning and cement production, and about one or so, uh, but with large uncertainty from deforestation. But that's balanced to some extent by a large sink of carbon on the land. Plants grow better under higher CO2, that draws down CO2 from the atmosphere, pumps carbon into the soil. Uh, and there's actually more carbon in the world's soils than actually in the atmosphere. And there's an even stronger sink 
in the ocean as CO2 is dissolved in the ocean waters and some of it is uh, taken up uh, by plankton and pumped down to the deep water as the plankton die off. So you get significant sinks which are helping to offset the emissions from fossil fuel burning and, and deforestation. So we have this free ecosystem service, if you like, which is buffering us from the full effects of our CO2 <coughs> emissions. But this ecosystem service may not last. Uh, now this is a, a climate and carbon cycle projection of the change in uh, carbon stores in global vegetation in red and global soils in blue. Uh, this is work published by Peter Cox and myself and colleagues in 2000, so it's 10 years old now nearly. Um, but it's using the, basically the HADCM3 climate model with interactive vegetation, soils and oceans uh, as well. So it's the full carbon cycle in there. Uh, and over the 20th century, you can see the model suggests, as is uh, again agreed by IPCC, that uh, the land should be taking up carbon both in the vegetation and in the soils. But then if you go on uh, into the future, these sinks decrease. Uh, the red line is uh, the vegetation carbon stored. You can see that flattens off in the middle of the century and then decreases. This is largely the Amazon forest failing to survive under a, uh, under a scenario of drying climate, as you saw in my earlier slides. Not all models show that, uh, but we've been unable to rule it out. So it still seems to be a plausible but not certain uh, future for the Amazon. It may be avoided if we can... Uh, protect the forest against deforestation, um, but it's still a, a plausible future in the longer term. But more seriously, the global carbon store in soil flattens off early and then declines very rapidly and then goes down below the pre-industrial levels. That's because the soil carbon is released to the atmosphere naturally through the process of decay. You get respiration uh, from the uh, microbes in the soil essentially, but that tends to go up under higher temperatures. Uh, and so soil respiration increases, the soil carbon store is largely released back to the atmosphere. So we get this enormous loss of carbon from the land in this model. And then we translated that into the effect on uh, atmospheric CO2 rise. Uh, and, it, and this is, this, as I said, this is a 10-year-old study. So this is using the older scenarios from IBCC. This one's called IS92A, business as usual, it was called in those days. And we looked at, without CO2 feedbacks, the blue line, and with at CO2 climate feedbacks here, the red line. Uh, and if you include these climate carbon cycle feedbacks, uh, instead of the, uh, the business usual scenario giving you a, a, a CO2 rise of about seven, CO2 concentration of about 750 parts per million by the end of the century, the CO2 concentration goes to about 1,000 parts per million by the end of the century under that scenario. So a significant acceleration of the, of the CO2 rise, and that naturally would translate into an acceleration of global warming. That was only the one model, and that's 10 years old now. In the meantime, the same work has been repeated by other modelling groups uh, in an international intercomparison project called C4MIP, stands for Coupled Climate Carbon Cycle Model Intercomparison Project. And that looked at uh, almost 20 models uh, of both complex and simple climate models, including carbon cycle feedbacks. And what I'm showing here is the difference in the CO2 concentration over time between your pairs of simulations with and without carbon cycle feedbacks. So it's essentially the difference between these two lines, but for a whole load of different models. This is the Hadley Center model here, the most extreme. Uh, so we recognize that we do have the most extreme feedback in our model. Uh, others have less extreme feedbacks, but the common thing here is they all have a positive feedback. 
so there seems to be a consensus that carbon cycle feedbacks are positive and would be expected to accelerate the CO2 rise to some extent. So what happens if you put that into the, uh, the climate model projections and try and use a simple model uh, tuned against the complex models, including uh, the range of uncertainty in, in the climate uh, system and the carbon cycle feedbacks. This is a figure from my colleague Jason Lowe, who's going to be speaking later in the conference. Um, and what we're showing here is the A1FI scenario, so the high emission scenario, including carbon cycle feedbacks and trying to capture the uncertainty in this. So the median projection, the, you could, could call it the best guess if you like, gives a warming of four degrees in the 2070s. Uh, if you look at the extremes, this is the 10th and 90th percentile. So essentially we're chopping off the extreme 10% and the least extreme 10%. So, uh, so the, the 90th percentile gives you a warming at uh, uh, four degrees warming at 2060. So that seems to be uh, a plausible worst case scenario uh, for reaching four degrees, including uh, high emissions and strong carbon cycle feedbacks. And finally, a figure from Mark New. Uh, this is uh, with the other uh, large climate model ensemble uh, based on HADCM3, uh, the climateprediction.net project. So this is using 1,549 variants of HADCM3. And this is not using carbon cycle feedbacks and it's, it's using the A1B uh, emission scenario. Uh, but what they're showing here is uh, the proportion of the models which go past certain thresholds of global warming. So this is the proportion going past two degrees at different dates, three degrees and four degrees. So for the four degree line, you can see uh, that about 10% of these 1,549 models uh, go past 2060, uh, go past four degrees at 2060 under the, the medium emission scenario or without carbon cycle feedbacks. So again, this backs up the fact that uh, reaching four degrees by 2060 is plausible. We have not yet combined this with carbon cycle models uh, or looked at high emission scenarios, so we don't know what would happen there. But I guess the message is uh, both this and the Hadley Centre work suggests that four degrees by 2060s is a plausible worst case scenario. Best guess is probably in the 2070s, but we could be as early as, as 2060. So to conclude then, the uh, current CO2 emissions uh, are near but not above the upper end of the IPCC emission scenarios. Uh, four degrees of global warming relative to pre-industrial is, is possible by the 2090s, especially under the high emission scenario. And that would mean that many areas could warm by 10 degrees or more. The Arctic could warm by 15 degrees or more. Uh, and annual precipitation could decrease by 20% or more in many areas, or it could increase by 20% or more in many areas. But the carbon cycle feedbacks are expected to accelerate uh, the warming. So with high emissions, the best guess uh, would be that we'd reach four degrees Celsius warming roughly in the 2070s. Uh, a worst case scenario uh, could be four degrees by 2060. I will leave it there, thank you.